we want to look at um, a little things, a couple of things that happened right before that. And the first thing that happens is um, in Acts 1-3, and I'm just going to take you through just an outline. In Acts 1-3, uh, Jesus appears after his resurrection for 40 days on the earth. And then we have in Acts 1-8-9, Jesus commissions his disciples and lifted into the clouds. So he, he tells them to go and take out the great commission. And then we have... Um, in Acts 1.13, the disciples were gathered in the upper room because the Lord had told them to wait for the, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we have in Acts 2.4, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and then there were people from all different uh, countries there and different languages in the, in the area and they started hearing people in their own language what the disciples were sharing about the Lord and then we have Acts 2.41 when uh, Peter gets up and he preaches the sermon. He preaches the gospel and, and telling everybody there about the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins and, and he shares the gospel with them. And then 3,000 people come to faith. 3,000 people came to faith and they all came from different, uh, different countries. They, they were social, there was, it doesn't say if they were rich or poor, it doesn't say what country they're from, but there were 3,000 people that came to faith all at one time. And then it leads us to our scripture uh, text today, which is uh, Acts 2.42-47. So if you can follow along, here's what we learn about the characteristics of biblical fellowship. The first thing it says here in verse 42 they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So here are these new believers. This is the first time we hear the word fellowship um, <clears throat> after the resurrection of Christ. And so we hear this idea that the believers continually devoted themselves, so they were dedicated to doing what? They were dedicated to the apostles' teachings. They were dedicated to growing in their faith and understanding who their God was. They were, they were, they were, it says here they were dedicated to the apostles' teachings, which means that they were teachable. They came wanting to grow and learn and to be taught. You see, when, our, when pastors get up and preach or people are preaching, they're teaching you God's word. The question we have to ask ourselves is, did we come here to learn? Did we wake up this morning with excitement and with a desire to hear God speak to us today? Are we teachable? And, or do we think we've already figured it all out already? We are called to grow in our understanding of a deep intimacy with God. And so we need to be teachable. And teach, someone who's teachable is, has humility. They're humble enough to know they need to learn and grow. So are we teachable? This is a characteristic of biblical fellowship because it's someone who desires and deeply continues to want to grow and be taught by God and to learn about who it is. And it goes on to say, and to have fellowship. Now this word fellowship is a powerful word. It's the first time we read it, but it's fellowship with God and fellowship with others. This word fellowship in the Greek, it says to be, it's intimacy. It's a deep connection with God and with other people. And we can't have that unless you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, the, the, the beginning of 
biblical fellowship only comes from Christ on the cross. And so we know that we need to come to faith. You can't have biblical fellowship if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you know him as your Lord and Savior, then you're able to have fellowship and intimacy with God. And then you're able to have fellowship and intimacy with other people. And this fellowship is important, which means they continue to have this. They continue to gather together, and, and, it, and it teaches us, the early church teaches us what it means to have this incredible fellowship. It goes on to say that they had the breaking of the bread, which means that they were deeply rooted in communion. They understood the cross. They never forgot the cross. They had communion constantly. Why? To never forget what Jesus Christ did for them and did for us. And that's why we, we should look forward to communion to remind ourselves that we've been saved by grace. We were sinners that saved by grace. That none of us stand above another. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And that's who we are. And to never forget who we are and who we are in him. So we get this idea that they, they broke bread and they, it also means that they had meals together. They loved to, to enjoy meals together. They were always together. And that's what we're called to do as believers. We're to be connected. We're to stay together. And I think that we've seen uh, some damage with COVID because it's robbed us of being able to gather. But we can't let that stop us from being the church. We need to come together. We need to have fellowship. We need to gather. We need to break bread. We need to be in each other's lives. This is what God intended for us. The other thing it comes on to, it says, and to prayer. You see, they were committed to prayer individually and corporately. Oftentimes we struggle in this life, and that's because we, we, we find when we struggle, we're not in prayer. When you're in prayer with God, and you're in fellowship with God through prayer, he will strengthen you. And when you're praying for others, he will strengthen us as a body. So prayer is important. We are to, to pray constantly, as the scripture tells us, to pray without ceasing. And so this fellowship is critical for us because this is what God has designed for us, where we'd be these kind of people. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We're to be that connected through our prayer life that we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us day by day. And this is continually. The next thing we see is in verse 43. And here it says, In Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And so the believers were in fellowship talking about what God was doing, what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. You know, oftentimes I think that we forget that as believers. We forget the amazing things that God has done in our lives. And we don't share it. And when we share it, we get encouraged by it. We get motivated to continue to trust God. You know, there's a story that I share that years ago when my wife and I, we were starting out as missionaries and we didn't have a lot of resources at the time and our, we live in Arizona and the air conditioner broke in our, our little car 
and uh, it was 103 out or something. It was pretty miserable. And our, uh, our younger daughter had really severe allergies, and she was sitting in the back of the car with us, and uh, her eyes were just swollen shut. And um, my wife said to me, uh, she said, hey, uh, we need to get some bread, and we need to get um, some Benadryl, because Andrea, our daughter, is sick with allergies. And I said, okay. I said, well, so how much money do we have? And she was afraid to even tell me, because she knew I would get upset, because we were struggling. But I went ahead and said, well, I have enough, you know, I have enough to buy the, buy the Benadryl. So we talked about it. And she goes, well, I can borrow, borrow some bread from your sister later. Let's just go get some Benadryl. So I said, okay. So I walked into the grocery store in, in Tucson, and <clears throat> I went in, and I counted all my pennies. I was at the cashier, cash register counting my pennies. And I remember I, I, uh, I just had enough for the Benadryl, and I was so excited. I go, oh, I got it, I got it, this is good. So I paid for it, and I started to turn around, and I, I've never had, this never happened to me before, but I started turning around, and the cashier woman says to me, sir, sir, excuse me, sir, and I said, what? And she goes, do you need bread? And I turned around and looked at her, and I said, well, I must look like I'm starving. I mean, how do you know? I said, do I? and she goes, do you need bread? I, and I was stunned. I said, uh, yeah. I mean, you should have said, yes. My wife just told me we did, but I didn't. I said, yeah, why? And she said, well, the bakery made a mistake. And see that rack against the wall? You can take as much bread as you want. It's yours for free. Well, thank God I'm a big man. I got one, two, three loaves. <laughs> And I'm walking out to the car with my six loaves of bread, and my wife looks at me and says, I told you to get Benadryl. Because <laughs> she couldn't see it underneath my hand. You know, these are the things that happen, that God is still faithful and he's still moving. And those are, those are wonderful testimonies of God. But testimonies from God are not just in the easy times. They're also in the hard times or the difficult times. You know, my mother, um, when she was passing away, uh, we all were around um, her bed. And uh, when I say all, I come from a very large Hispanic family in Tucson. So I think at the time there were 72 of us. So you can imagine the room. Um, but at one point, my mother was in a coma, and she was on her way out. And my mother had a relationship with Christ, and she was on her way out, and she was in a coma for over probably about seven days where she didn't say a word. She was just breathing. And my wife and my sister and I just happened to be there at this particular time by ourselves, and we were, we were fixing her pillows, and we were, we were just making, trying to make her comfortable. She couldn't talk or anything, but we just wanted to do something. And we were all around her, and we were, I was putting her pillow, and we were fixing her up. And my mother had not spoken, had not opened her eyes, not had done anything for a full week. And then all of a sudden, we were, my sister was on one side and I was on the other, and my wife was at the foot of the bed. And all of a sudden, my mother opened her eyes, like just exploded, her eyes just opened up, and she looked at me, and here's her voice. She said, bye. And she looked at my sister and goes, bye. And then she closed her eyes and was gone a day later. But her voice was so sweet. It was as if though a little child running off to play with her father. 
That's what it sounded like to us, and it stunned us. It stunned us to the point where six months later, I was talking to my sister, and I was saying, wasn't that a gift, a great gift that God gave us through mom? And she said, what are you talking about? You know, when mom looked at us and said goodbye, and my sister began to cry, and she said, I thought that was a dream because it was so unreal. You see, this is the kind of things that happen in our life, even through hard times. God is always moving. I don't care what the world looks like. He's a God who changes lives. He's a God who changes things. Do you see him that way? Do you walk out the front door and look at a tree you've looked at forever and said, what a beautiful creation? We need to be the kind of people that are in awe of God, even through the difficult times. This early church understood that, and they shared what God was doing in their lives day in and day out. The other thing about them that's interesting is in verse uh, 44, it says, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. This is, this is critical for us as believers because it says not some things, all things. So here's what this is saying. They understood their identity in Christ and Christ alone. There was no division among them. There was nothing that could divide them. They understood Ephesians 4, 5, and, 4 and 5, and here's what it says. This is what they understood. There is one body, it's the church. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just as you have also been called, we're all called in one hope, the truth of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's no division with them. We are not to allow anything to divide us as believers. We're to let the word hold us together and guide us and lead us. There was just, they were just completely, had everything in common, and they, they had a, a common focus about who their God was and how they were to live. And this is the kind of life God wants for us. He wants us to have a rich and powerful life and not be distracted by the things of this world, not be divided by the things of this world, but be united by who Christ is in our life. And then we get to verse 45, and it says, They begin selling their properties and their possessions and sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, we have to be careful with this because I'm not asking you to sell everything because I need a boat. Or I want a boat, I should say, which is kind of silly in Arizona. But, but the idea is, is that they understood the needs of the people at that time. They were other-centered. That's what that means. They just knew their, the people around them. They knew what the needs were. So they were willing to do what it took at that time in the early church to come alongside other people. And that's what we're called to do, just to be other-centered. We're just called to be aware of the needs. It doesn't say wants. It doesn't say that anyone who might have wants. It says about anyone who have, might need. So they were very committed to just seeing that everybody was taken care of. They were taking care of each other. And, uh, they, and that way they could carry out what God called them to do. So this is important for us, and this is a great characteristic of the early church and for us today. 
The other thing that happens here is you see in, in, um, in 46, verse 46, it says, And day by day, continuing of one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So you take this, this word here and you look at it, they continually. So this is day by day. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's a lifestyle of faith. It's who you are every day, not what you do on Wednesday and Sunday. It's who you are every day. The word Christian means Christ-like, character of Christ. And we're to pursue to have the character of Christ and, have the, and be of one mind in Christ. So the idea is that it's what we do every day of our lives and that we are to be of one mind, one focus, that's to bring God glory and, and worship. It says that one mind in the temple, they worship God together. They gather together to worship God. And, um, and that's what we're here to do today. We're here to enjoy worshiping God to, together. And it says they were taking meals together. They were enjoying meals together. Um, I think they were Hispanic because we like to eat too. Uh, but they spent time in each other's homes. They joined meals together, you know. I always say, you want to know who your friends are? Your friends don't have to call you to visit. They just show up. They know you so well. Why is this important? Because as a church, what we learn is that we get to know each other's families. We get to be in part of each other's lives. We know we help see each other's children raised up. We pray for each other's children. We continue to stay connected and support one another. This is an incredible support system that God has allowed us to have through the Holy Spirit. And that they enjoyed their times together. And, um, and it's a powerful uh, uh, way of staying connected uh, when you eat at someone's table, when you're invited to a dinner and you get to sit across from somebody and talk about everyday life. Everyday life. It goes on to say that with gladness and sincerity of heart. In other words, they were glad to be together. They had joy together. And they had a sincere heart. Their conversations were righteous and godly and important. And there was no backbiting. There was no gossip. That's not what the scripture says here. They're not gossiping about each other. They were focused and enjoying life together and the sorrows of life. But they were together. They were in it together in every way. And so what this really means is they had righteous homes they had righteous homes. So what does a righteous home look like? What does it mean to have a righteous home? Well, I'm just going to read in Psalm 101, eight verses. And this is David, King David. And King David, we all know that he wasn't perfect. Now, most theologians don't know if this was written pre or post Bathsheba, it doesn't really matter because what matters is it's written to help us understand how to have a righteous home and have a, a home that honors God. But here's what it says in Psalm 101. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. In other words, what David is saying is that in my home, the Lord will be glorified. And the thing we have to ask ourselves is what kind of music do you listen to? Does it bring God glory? What kind of music do you allow in your home? Does it bring God glory? 
He goes on to say, I will ponder the way of the blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? And I will walk with the integrity of my heart within my house. In other words, in my home, I will honor you, but not just in my home, in my heart. I'm going to be passionate about who my God is. When will you be with me? In other words, it's, it's, he wants God's presence in his home. He goes on to say in verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, and I hate the works of those who fall away, and it shall not cling to me. So David is saying he's committed that he doesn't want anything worthless before his eyes. You know, what do we allow in our homes? What do we watch on television? Does it honor God? Does it bring him glory? We need to be mindful and to take inventory of what's affecting us in our homes. And, uh, and he says he doesn't want this, this outside world to cling to him, to distract him from his relationship with God. In four, he says, a perverse heart shall be far from me, and I will know nothing of evil. You see, he is committed to trying to please God and honor God with his life. He goes on to say, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. So he doesn't want dishonesty in his home. He wants righteousness and holiness. He wants his home to honor God. He doesn't want any gossip or anybody uh, putting someone else down. He's, 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 he's cleaning up his house so that he can experience God's presence. And so how do we talk to each other in our homes? How do we honor God in our homes with our voice and with our, the things that people say and do in our homes? Then he goes on in, in 6. He says, I will look with favor on the faithful of the land that they might dwell with me. And he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. What he's saying there is that I want righteous people around me. I want to have that kind of influence in my life. Who's influencing you? And David is clear that he just wants to have those who are walking with the Lord. And the person who's righteous will minister to me. In other words, I'll take my counsel from righteous men and women, not just anybody. Then he goes on to seven and says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house and no one who utters lies shall come before my eyes. In other words, he wants to have a home that's filled with truth, not lies. You know, this was a hard passage when I read this years ago from my own, my own personal um, journey because I said, he can't utter lies? I said, how am I going to go home? Because I'm not perfect. He's not saying that he's perfect. He says he's going to desire this. This is not what he wants in his life. He wants to live in truth, God's truth. Not his, not the world's, but God's truth. And then it goes on to say that morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked of the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying there is, I'm committed, I'm completely utterly committed to taking inventory of what's going on in my life every day. And if it's not of the Lord, I want it out of my life. He's talking about continuing to evaluate his journey with the Lord. And that's a righteous home. This is the kind of homes that was happening. These people came to the place where they realized they wanted God in their life. They were going to have 
homes that honor God in every way. They were going to be people who live in truth. You know, it's interesting. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. Our nature is to lie. But we can learn to live in truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with that being said, it's just, it's just showing that this is the kind of relationships that people had at the time. And, um, and then we get to 47, and it says, you know, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day to those who were being saved. And why is this important? Well, they're committed to praising God. And what do we praise God for? You know, years ago, I met, uh, had the privilege of, of being with a man by the name of Lawrence Sandy, who ran the second largest ministry in the world at the time. It was called Navigators out of Colorado. And his name was Lawrence Sandy. And he taught me that what it means to truly praise God for who he is. And he taught me his prayer life. But in his prayer life, here's what he taught me about praising God. He said to us, when you go before the throne, you praise God for who he is. Just spend time thinking who he is. And, um, and so during our time together, he reminded us, who is he? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the great I am. He's the bread of life. He's kind. He's gentle. He's wrath. He's holy. He's perfect. He is an amazing God. That's who you wake up to every morning. You wake up to a God who loves you, the almighty God, the king of kings. And you can spend time just marveling at that as long as you want to praise him. And so a characteristic of biblical fellowship is people who praise God constantly. And because the, the biblical fellowship that was taking place Look how God uses them. It says he had favor with all people, and the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. You see, when we have this a healthy relationship and fellowship with God and with each other, God uses us to touch other people. You know, it's often been said the, the best um, gospel message is how you live how you live your life. Because when people see the good news in you, then there's hope for them. There's hope for them. And so for all of us, it's just a, it's just a great privilege that God gives us to live according to his will and be able to draw other people to himself. Because they see what he's done in our life. I'll never forget the day that I was sitting across, I was the first one in my Hispanic family that came to faith. And I remember sitting across at breakfast one day after I had come to faith, and my sister kept staring at me. And then she finally looked at me, and I said, what? What do you want to say? And she said, okay, what is it? What do you have? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, what do you have? You have something that I've never seen before. I can see it on your face. You, you've been through so much, and I can see peace on your face. How do you have that? And I said, you really want to know? And she said, yeah, I want to know. I said, his name is Jesus. It's the only place you're going to find joy and peace on earth. 
in a relationship with the living God. And she said, well, I want that. And she came to faith. You see, when we have this kind of lifestyle of faith, we can change the world. And then God sends us out to do that in everyday life. And so I just know that it's a beautiful gift. The gift of fellowship is beautiful. To have that with God and with each other. And I just want to encourage you as a church to just continue to enjoy your fellowship here at Trinity. Continue to grow as you have been growing. Continue to expand the kingdom through biblical fellowship by embracing everyone around you in Christ. Enjoy your meals together. Raise your kids together. And become the family of God that he intended. You know, I often tell people this, 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 God was so good to us. He gave us the, the Holy Spirit and he gave us the body of Christ. He did not leave us orphans. You are never alone in Christ Jesus. And this pandemic is trying to tell us that we are, but we're not. You are never alone in Christ. So my prayer is, is that we would live in fellowship with God and each other and that the Lord will continue to use us to expand his kingdom until he either returns or he comes home. Because Jesus is coming back. There's no doubt about that. It's whether or not we go home earlier, he comes in. So whichever one it is. At my age, probably go earlier. And that's okay. Let me close in prayer. And uh, in our t- for our time. Father, I just come before you and just thank you for the privilege I have this morning to be with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the fellowship I've seen while I've been here uh, and how powerful it is being able to break bread with brothers and sisters over the last day or so and be able to share in your word and, and even today being able to have communion with them to remind us of how good you are, that you did not leave us orphans. We are powerful people because we've been saved by grace. And so we just, uh, I ask you to continue to bless um, the fruit of their labor here in Walla Walla and that many more would come to faith and this church would continue, continue to do what it's already doing and that's to shine brightly for you and that you would get all the glory for everything that's done here at Trinity. In Christ we pray, amen.